Today we're continuing on in this study of prayers for life and we are looking at it from a sense this week of the things that we need to let go of so that we can live well. Last week we looked at God's blessings and what does it mean for God to bless us? What does it mean to have prayer and conversation? Not only of asking for blessings for ourselves, but also what does it mean for our lives to bless others? And this week we're digging into this what does it mean to live well and let go because so often right our prayers are I need help oh God I need help I need help and so and so needs help and so how do we look at this prayer and conversation that we are to have with God in the sense of how do we live better how do we live well? How do we let go of certain things? Because we all have things that we need to let go of in our lives. And how do we begin to kind of maneuver? So we're going to be looking specifically at Daniel 9. And the book of Daniel is one that is written, it starts in that time of the exiles. That's where the, the, it is placed. Babylon has destroyed Jerusalem and taken the ruling class, the royal class, the upper class to Babylon. They have taken that class into exile and this prophet Daniel is part of it. Now the book of Daniel is much bigger than just the prophet. The book of Daniel is written by several authors and it's written over an extended time period. In fact, Right, The prophet Daniel begins in the 500s, whereas the book begins to be finalized and is finalized by like 164 BCE. So it goes through a process of several writers over several hundred years in this scholarship of the prophet Daniel. And you may be going, okay, what's, what's drawing all of that together? Like there's all these different writers. And the, what's drawing it together is the people have experienced exile. They have experienced despair. They have experienced some major pain and trauma. They are going through this period where it's like, this is not what we expected. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted and how I wanted to live. And where is God? Where is God? I need God's help. I need God's guidance. And so here the book of Daniel is trying to give where is God? How is God interacting? How is God bringing good out of the situation? How is God bringing us into a new reality? Where is God as we are having this experience? And so as we begin to look at Daniel 9, it's important to keep that in context, that the people are struggling just like we struggle. We struggle in all kinds of ways, and they have got to figure out where God is, where God is guiding, and what they're going to have to let go of to really gain, understand, be in that experience. And so for ourselves, as we're trying to look through, as we're trying to figure out what are the things that I need to let go of, Daniel 9 is mostly this prayer, and this prayer is a bit older. It, it could be older than the writer, but a well-known prayer where the writer of this particular chapter is trying to bring it in and say, see, look, 
Here we are brought together in our struggle and pain, and here is a way forward. Here is a way of living well. Here is a way as we are letting go of particular things, knowing what we need to let go of. And so as we begin into Daniel 9, let us feel that connection. Let us know that connection that no matter what we're going through, people of other generations have had these same questions. So starting in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius's rule, Darius, who was a Hosera's son, a Median by birth, and who ruled the Chaldean kingdom, I, Daniel, pondered the scrolls, specifically the number of years that it would take to complete Jerusalem's desolation, according to the Lord's word to the prophet Jeremiah. It was 70 years. I then turned my face to my Lord God asking for an answer. Was prayer with prayer and pleading and with fasting, mourning, clothes and ashes. All right. So the writer of chapter nine begins by trying to place it or so it seems in a historical moment. But what we have to know is Darius was not the son of Ahasuerus. No, there was a Darius who was the father of Ahasuerus. But here's what else we have to know. Darius and Ahasuerus were Persian. They were not Medes. They did not rule the Chaldean kingdom. And so you begin to wonder, okay, well, did the writing have their historical facts like off? Is there something about that? But what if we began to see this as the writer going, I'm placing it in this period with this ruler that actually never existed because that's what we do. We go and we look and we try to look for answers because we're always looking for answers and trying to gain understanding of trying to look for help. And the writer is going, do you go to what is actually not helpful? What actually is not the most important? Do we go looking for answers in places where it's not going to give us life. It's not real. It is only temporary. And as the writer begins to move through and say, Daniel, to speak, to put this into the first person of I, Daniel, am looking for answers. Daniel here in this passage is looking for answers. And so Daniel goes to the prophet Jeremiah is reading through the prophecies of Jeremiah, which Jeremiah was leading up to the exile, leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so here the character, the prophet Daniel is supposedly looking back and going, we need some answers because the way we have answered things, the who we've looked to, this Darius or others, who we've looked to to give us answers, it's not happening. So now we're going to go look to God. And it's not to say that God hasn't worked through us and others and events throughout history. As I have said in other times, right, God is always bringing the good. God is always bringing peace. God is always bringing joy out of whatever situation God is working in us and through us. But how often do we start to look to other things for answers? We look to maybe money or power or greed or comfort or celebrities or social media or Google or, or, or where do we look for answers? Who do we go to for answers? Where do we look for guidance? 
And is that connected to God? Because here, that's what the writer is beginning to challenge us in. Who are we looking to for answers? Are we going to God? Are we like, you know what, this, this struggle, this life, there are issues we've got going on. I don't like where I find myself. I don't like how I feel. I don't like the circumstances at hand. And when we don't like that, who do we go to? Do we go to the people that agree with us? Do we go to the people that we're comfortable with? Do we go to voices that, well, they're better than? Who are we going to? What are we going to for answers? And is that and how is that connected to God? Continuing on in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 9. As I prayed to the Lord my God, I made this confession. Please, my Lord, you are the great and awesome God, the one who keeps the covenant and truly faithful to all who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have brought guilt on ourselves and rebelled, ignoring your commands and your laws. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our leaders, our parents, and to all the land's people. Righteousness belongs to you, my Lord. But we are ashamed this day. We, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, whether near or far, in whatever country, where you've driven them because of their unfaithfulness when they broke faith with you. So right there we get this sense, right? This is a confession. Oh God, I make this confession. And confession, that word has a lot of baggage. And it even has a couple of different meanings. Uh, even in a worship service, especially like a prior to COVID maybe, and maybe some churches are still doing this, where there's a confession, where it's a, here's a confession of sin. Here's what I have done wrong. Here's how I've screwed up. Here's how my life has been marked. Sin just means mark a mark upon us. And then there's this other part of a liturgy of a church service where it's a confession of faith. It's a proclamation of saying, hey God, here's how I recognize you. Here's how I understand you or here's how I'm trying to work through. And so the prayer begins with a confession, which is a proclamation of who God is, of how God they think is working in their life or how God they, they're perceiving at the moment. And then it moves into a proclamation of, you know what? I don't have it all together. I have screwed up in this world. I have, we have sinned and done wrong. We have brought guilt on ourselves and rebelled, ignoring your commands and your laws. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our leaders, our parents, and to all the land's people. And so here, Daniel is starting off this prayer. This prayer is giving us a sense of, okay, being real. We, none of us have it all together. None of us have it all figured out. And so here's where I haven't listened. Here's where I didn't, where I screwed up. Here's what I should have done or shouldn't have done. And we may be wondering, so what did, what did the Jews do to end up in exile? And if like the whole thing with Jeremiah, he was reading Jeremiah 
If you go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's like, hey, you guys have put your faith, you have looked for answers, you have put your trust, you have gone to certain things for guidance that are false idols. And false idols are anything from that little gold statue through power, greed, comfort, vanity, anything that we go to, that we put our time and energy into and say, okay, this is what guides me. This is what gives me life. This is what I trust that isn't connected to God. That is a false idol. And so when we're thinking about that, when we're, we're trying to understand, okay, so they screwed up. They're like, yeah, we listen. And the prophets would. The prophets, we've got numerous books where the prophets show up again and again to the rulers and are like, you are mistreating the people. You are letting the people starve. You are making things worse. You are not living according to how God is guiding. You have really screwed this up because you have put your faith in Okay, well, you know what? I am only going to listen to people that agree with me today. I'm only going to th listen to things or do things that make me feel comfortable. I'm going to put my trust in how I look. I'm going to put trust in the power that I wield. I'm going to put trust into the money that I have. And so the people and the rulers, they begin to look away from God. They begin to look to false idols and it begins to break down their relationships. They begin to go, well, I got mine. I don't care what happens to you. They begin to go, I didn't starve today. I, wow, that, that bites for you. They begin to live in such a way that they are so not focused upon God, that they are so focused upon themselves and what they can get and living a life that is so far removed from that loving kindness, compassion, where God's like, hey, I'm calling you to walk with one another, to be with one another, to help one another. To live that love and that compassion with one another, they are getting so far removed and so far into, well, my life revolves around other things. My, my life revolves around celebrities or social media or money or sports or what's good for me, that they begin to break relationships with others. They begin to allow things to divide them, right? How many times have things on social media or in the media in general begin to divide us and to destroy our relationships because we put more faith and time and energy into that than we do going, hey, wait, God is calling and challenging us to live a little bit different, that we're not supposed to get stuck into despair. We're not supposed to get stuck into, well, they're my enemy. I'm not praying for them. And so here the people are going, okay, this prayer... This prayer is an acknowledgement of our missteps, our screw-ups, of the things that we should have done. It's about being real, and it's about letting go. Of saying, okay, that happened. That is a mark upon my life, but we are going to move beyond that by saying, I will not live that way anymore. I am turning to God.
I am going towards God. I'm going to look to God for guidance. And so we see that in the prayer, that as we are living well, because none of us get this right all the time, none of us, that it's this sense of acknowledgement, of being real, of saying, wait a minute, I haven't been looking to God for answers. I have been looking to no more. No more will I go that direction. I will now turn towards God, a God of love, a God of compassion, a God about building relationships, a God about peace, and a God about joy, a God that says we can encourage one another truly. Continuing on in verses 8 through 11. Lord, we are ashamed. We, our kings, our leaders, and our parents who sinned against you, Compassion and deep forgiveness belong to my Lord, our God, because we rebelled against him. We didn't listen to the voice of the Lord, our God, by following the teachings he gave us through his servants and prophets. All Israel broke your instruction and turned away, ignoring your voice. Then the curse that was sworn long ago, the one written in the instruction for Moses, God's servant swept over us because we sinned against God. They recognize. They recognize they have screwed it up. They recognize that, yes, God has been with them trying to help, trying to bring the good, trying to bring them to new understanding, trying to build their lives in new ways. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't really have time for that right now. Um, can we do this a little bit quicker? They realize that they've got to just lay it all out to just be honest with themselves about the way they've been living. And they're like, you know what? I'm done with that. That's not where I'm going to put my trust. That's not where I'm going to spend my time and energy. That we can do something different here. And so they're realizing in this moment that they can take that different direction because we have a God that is compassionate, that is merciful, that is all about forgiveness every step of the way. And they even draw upon this imagery. This prayer draws upon that imagery of even thinking about back to the Exodus where God is constantly with them. And the Israelites out of Egypt complain and... Uh, every step of the way, right? They're complaining, they're not happy about, they just want to go back, blah, you know, like it, it just keeps going on and on and on. And God's like, nope, still love you. Nope, you can't drive me away. Nope, still giving you forgiveness. Nope, still giving you the opportunity to live better, still encouraging you to do so, still calling you to a life of love instead of, I don't like you. I don't like what you believe. I'm going my own way. Continuing on in verses 12 through 15. God confirmed the words he spoke against us and against our rulers, bringing great trouble on us. What happened in Jerusalem hasn't happened anywhere else in the entire world. All this trouble came upon us exactly as it was written in the instruction of Moses. But we didn't try to reconcile with the Lord our God by turning from our wrongdoing or by finding wisdom in your faithfulness. 
So the Lord oversaw the great trouble and brought it on us because the Lord our God has been right in every move he's made, but we haven't listened to his voice. But now, my Lord our God, you who brought your people out of Egypt with a strong hand, making a name for yourself even to this day, we have sinned and done the wrong thing. So the part of this that probably gave a sense of pause and you might go, oh, yep, Old Testament, wrathful God right there. Where's the grace? So the Lord oversaw the great trouble and brought it on us because the Lord our God has been right in every move he's made, but we haven't listened to his voice. So there was a particular school of thought, and we see it pop up throughout the biblical text, and that Deuteromistic understanding that scholarship sometimes we come across those writers and right here we're coming across one of those writers and it's a very black and white way of thinking like if you do this then if you do x then y is going to happen and that's the way it is and that's the way it's always going to be except that that's not how life is what life is not black and white there's a whole lot of gray and we see this notion get challenged with the book of job Job is a righteous man, and calamity is brought upon him. We also see it in the New Testament, in Matthew 5:45, where it talks about it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, or the just and the unjust. There are different things that challenge this notion. And so for today, to think about for us this verse of what it's, th what it's trying to get us to move towards, it's trying to get us to think and understand the consequences that we live with, the consequences from our actions, because that's what they're trying to make sense of. There are consequences for our actions, and who brings about our consequences? Today, we kind of understand, right, the consequences, depending upon what it is, right, may or may not be connected to God. And so to think about the consequences that we live with when we don't let go of things, when we don't let go of particular perspectives, when we don't let go of things that are unhealthy, when we don't let go of relationships that are troubling, when we don't let go of what we have done in the past, how that begins to impact our life, how it begins to impact going forward, how it begins to impact who we answer to or not, that when we hold on to, well, I can't do anything, I'm no good, that that begins, we begin to live with a consequence of that that is so detrimental. And here the people are like, we are tired of living with these consequences. We are tired. We need help to live through it, oh God. We need help. But now, my Lord, our God, you who brought your people out of Egypt with a strong hand, make it a name for yourself, even to this day, we have sinned and done the wrong thing. They're like, we know that as the people were coming out of Egypt, as they were making trouble for themselves, as they were living with the consequences of the things they said and the things that they did, you did not leave them, O God. And we are recognizing you do not leave us even as we are living out the consequences of decisions we have or have not made or others have made. Continuing on, finishing up in verses 16 through 19. 
My Lord, please, in line with your many righteous acts, please turn your raging anger from Jerusalem, which is your city, your own holy mountain, because of our sins and the wrongdoing of our parents. Both Jerusalem and your people have become a disgrace to all our neighbors. But now, our God, listen to your servant's prayer and please for help. Shine your face on your ruined sanctuary for your own sake, my Lord. Open your ears, my God, and listen. Open your eyes and look at your... at our devastation. Look at the city called by your name. We pray our prayers for help to you, not because of any righteous acts of ours, but because of your great compassion. My Lord, listen, my Lord, forgive, my Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay. My God, do all this for your own sake, because your city and your people are called by your name. We got it. We needed to let go of, and through this prayer, we are processing and letting go. And like that becomes like something that we can think about practicing for ourselves of in the prayers and the conversations with God. What do we need to let go of? What do we need to say, hey, God, I need help letting go of because now we are turning to something good. We are wanting to live well. So here the prayer is the people are like, we want to live differently. We want to live into this new life. We want to rebuild that sanctuary. We don't want to live in devastation and pain. We want to go forward. Doesn't mean we totally get rid of the consequences, but how do we go forward, oh God? We need that forgiveness and mercy. We need to be able to let go of certain things so we can now be part of your work in the world, of how we are maneuvering and going, how we are coming to new understandings, new ways of living. We pray our prayers for help to you, not because of any righteous acts of ours, but because of your great compassion. They are praying to experience, not just to know, but not just to think about, but to experience God's love and compassion. And think about that for a second, right? Moving us beyond just thinking about it. God loves me. God has compassion for me. But now the prayer moves to, right? We've been moving and shifting all along in this prayer of going from where do we turn to? What do we need to let go of? How do we need to begin to live differently to, okay, God, we recognize you still have love and compassion for us, but how do we get to experience that? And that becomes, right, a little more difficult. But just the way this prayer has been set up begins to help us understand what it means to experience God's love and compassion. Because so often, right, so often we think about experience God as like a caffeine buzz. I take a couple of shots of espresso. I feel all good. I'm ready to roll in my day. Nobody can take me down. I'm on the mountaintop. And sometimes we think of this experience of God as so explosive and energetic that it, it almost feels like it's a high from something legal or not. That it's like winning the lottery or it's like the wedding day celebration. But the prayer here is moving us into an understanding that experiencing God is an everyday kind of thing. And it's, 
it may be a little more subdued. Yeah, we may have those mountaintop experiences where we are full of energy and ready to jump. But most of us, every day, there's every day experiencing God. And we experience God when we begin to let go, to move aside, to prepare ourselves, to take up practices for listening. Those moments of going, you know, I've been looking for answers in all the wrong places. I think I need to, to pray, to converse with God. Or even, like it said at the beginning of Daniel, like sackcloth and ashes, a practice, a change in routine so that God could be heard. A change in the way that we're going through life every day, little changes, just so that we make presence, that when we are conversing with God, that we are also giving space to listen that we begin to experience God's love and compassion when we are willing to begin that process of letting go. Because that, letting go of things, takes a whole lot of courage, takes a whole lot of vulnerability, takes a whole lot of saying, I don't know how this is going to go, but here we are. Letting go, living well, moving to those practices begins to allow us to experience God, to experience God's strength, to experience God's love and God's compassion, to be, experience God's encouragement. You can do this. I have promised you a life of peace, of joy. There is still hope. Experiencing God's love and compassion comes in the smallest of ways when we begin to say, where am I going to for answers? What do I need to let go of? How do I need to begin to redirect my life? Who am I listening to? Where am I going? What kind of life do I want to build? We then begin to make space to experience God's love and compassion. And so this prayer this day has actually been one of a journey. And for us to even think about that, that the prayers, the conversations that we have with God on an everyday basis is this journey of letting go, of realizing where God is, of where God is guiding us, of saying we can live better if, if we're willing to throw out those false idols, if we're willing to look for new opportunities, if we're willing to be guided into new perspectives of where God is calling and guiding us this day. So how will we allow this prayer, this ancient prayer, to give us guidance today for letting go and living well with a God who keeps saying, love, compassion, you've got it. Now let's experience it. Let's experience it for ourselves and for others. How will we allow this prayer to impact us this day? Amen.